you're a note taker this morning, you're going to be go crazy. Um, it's going to be really difficult to uh, take notes this morning. If you think in pictures, you're going to, this is your day. Most people are actually visual learners. How many would consider yourself a visual learner? A good percentage of people are visual learners. Myself, if I have to, if I'm thinking something through, a lot of times if I take a piece of scratch paper and I scratch it out on that piece of paper, boom, it just comes right clear in my mind. I'm a very visual learner. And so if you're a visual learner today and you can make those pictures come in your head, uh, if you can get the picture, I think the message could really be a help today. If you're not a visual learner, you can't think in terms of that, you might be in a little trouble. We just have to give you that warning. Let's read these two passages of Scripture. Isaiah 61, verse number 10. Isaiah 61, 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Sherlock Holmes mystery, the Greek interpreter, begins with Sherlock Holmes and his brother, Mycroft. You might not have even known that Sherlock Holmes had a brother. His name was Mycroft. They're in a window, looking, a second-story window, looking down on the street. And together, they are watching the people go by and deducing from what the people are wearing and carrying who they are and what they do. He's an old soldier back from, recently back from India. He's married and has at least two children. And then Watson, who's standing there, who's clueless, Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes begin to explain how they came to those deductions by looking at the people from a window up above. Well, I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but I do sort of play a similar game, but really only with guys who work with their hands for a living. If you go to any convenience store at lunchtime or break time, there are always plenty of opportunities to do some deducing. If a man walks in and he's fairly muscular and you look at his shoes and in the cracks of his shoes there is a real fine white dust. The man's a drywall hanger. The rotozip puts that dust out in the air and it settles in the cracks of their shoes. If a man has that dust in his shoes but on his pants he has little white daubs of liquid mud that's been smeared or on his shoes. That man's a taper. He, hangs, he doesn't hang the drywall necessarily, but he does do the mudding and taping. A painter will have similar splotches to that, only generally they'll have different colors to them. And you can tell a, a, normal, a professional painter from a weekend warrior by the type of clothes that they actually wear. A framer, when he walks in, will be sweaty, and he'll, have, he'll be slightly dirty, with non-specific dirt, unless it's been raining. 
And then a framer's feet will weigh 40 pounds apiece as he's been wading through the mud around his job site. The roofer, if they've been tearing off, he will, have, he will be covered in black dirt, basically his whole body. But a layer of shingles will only be, the sides of his shoes will be tarred, his knees will be tarred, and the knuckles on this hand, if he's right-handed, the knuckles on this hand will have tar stains across them as he drags the shingles. This hand will be clean, and this hand will have tar. I could keep going, but you get the idea. In that type of work, the clothes get dirty, and they tell what the person has been doing. Title of this morning's message, Clean Clothes. Clean Clothes. Let's pray. Father, it is your business that we're after this morning. We want your perfect will to be done. We know that we are flawed, broken vessels, but that you have chosen to use us and to work in our lives. And so, Father, use your word by your spirit, a winning combination to change us and conform us to our blessed Lord. For we ask these things in his precious holy name. Amen. In the Bible, clothing is a picture of righteousness or unrighteousness. When Adam sinned in the garden, he immediately discovered that he was naked. And he set out to cover himself with fig leaves. Think about the prodigal son. When he comes home after all that's taken place, what is one of the first things that the dad says? Put a new robe on that boy. Why? Because what that boy had been doing was showing up in his clothes. You could tell the life he'd been living, and now he's in these filthy rags that are unworthy of a son of a wealthy man. And he says, put a new robe on the kid. Change those clothes out. If you take that thought, develop a picture in your mind. If our clothes today reveal what we have been doing, and in the Bible, they are a spiritual picture of the same thing. Our clothes reveal what we've been doing. Then ask yourself this question. How is the world dressed? If what you've been doing shows up in your spiritual clothes, how is the world dressed? Let me help you develop that thought. It's kind of funny. If you've ever worked a construction job or been involved in any kind of dirty job, you're all on the job and you pile into a truck and you head down to the nearest quick trip. And as a group of you, you all walk in And you don't really think anything about it until you start seeing the looks of everybody in the place. They look at you like, who are you and how come you came dressed like that? And they intrinsically ignore you or or move away from you because you are not clean. They want to keep their distance. No, all of you have been on one side of that equation or the other. Okay, you've been the one ignoring, or you've been the one like, oh, they don't like the way I'm dressed here. They don't like the way that I smell. 
Mom goes to what she calls the digger. Okay, that is the goodwill on the south side where you have all these bins that you dig in. And when the kids were home, we used to go there quite regularly. They liked to do that. Happens almost every time I would go. You're digging through this bin of miscellaneous stuff. And you think, what is that in this bin? <laughs> Yuck. I don't know what's in there. But So you move. And you go, you know, to the other side of the building, and you're digging in this bin. And you, what is that? And you look up. And the same person that was over there at that bin <laughs> is now over at this bin. And you realize the smell is not coming from the bin. <laughs> and you think, oh, I don't know about that. Now, you've all been there. Take that thought and put it in spiritual terms. If every sin that was committed ended up with a stain on the garment, if every wrongdoing carried its own stench of filth, how would the world be closed? Years upon years upon years upon years of buildup in the clothing, the stench, the dirt, the filth, of a whole life. Each person soiled with the years of countless filth. Each person emitting the aroma of the rotten acts that they have committed. Can you picture that in your mind? Picture people in their dirtiness. Now consider the days of Noah. When God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. If every thought of man was only evil continually, think of the dirt, the stench coming from the world. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Can you picture that in your mind? As one big stench. It's no wonder that God flooded the world. Have you ever had a garbage can that you've let sit out in the sun with garbage in it? And when you pour it out, there's stuff in it. We won't get too far into this. There's stuff in there. And what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You fill that garbage can full of water. That's what you do. And you purge that whole thing out. This is what happened at this flood. The stench from the world comes up, and God says, that is not right. I am going to wipe this thing clean. And the stench of the world is drowned out by the flood. But let me ask you, does the days of Noah have anything on us? The world that we live in is filled with open sin, a putrefying stench in the nostrils of God. The open sin is so heinous in our world that we almost are afraid to even think about the hidden sin. You understand what I mean? You see this openness, this sin is going openly and you think, what is happening behind closed doors if that can be done openly? Can you envision the filth of this world as each man adds sin after sin to the filth on his own garments. Can you get that far? Each person filthy, dirty, with stench coming off of them. Now let me ask you this. 
can you visualize your own filth? The daily deeds, the countless acts of unrighteousness that has covered your life since you were born. An an unthinking person may give their life a quick glance and say, I'm pretty decent. I'm not too terribly bad. My friend, that's just like a person who has body odor that can't tell it on themselves. You've known the people. They have a stench about them, and they have no clue about it. If you look at yourself and say, I'm not too bad, my friend, it's just because you can't smell yourself. Isaiah 64 tells us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. If your best is a filthy rag, what do you think your worst is? It is a stench in the nostrils of God. Can you see yourself in the filthy rags of your own making? Can you smell the stench of your own life? You need to force your brain to picture what the world looks like. Since 1 John says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Each person wearing the disgusting, rotten rags of their own making. Now, in order for this to have the impact it needs to have, you have to have that picture solid in your mind. Think of the stench of your own life Think of the stench of the life of everybody on the whole planet filled with wickedness. Get that solidly in your mind. Now, if you're there, with that picture in mind, see the tiny baby in the manger. See the Lord Jesus as he listens to the teachers of the temple and asks them questions. Don't lose your view of the world. Don't clean them up slightly. Let them sit in their own filth as they listen to the Sermon on the Mount. Don't let any of the filth taint the Lord Jesus who was surrounded by refuse. The spotless Lamb of God breaks bread and feeds 5,000 people. Can you get the contrast in your mind? Absolute filth and one perfectly righteous person. Can you get that picture in your mind? It is like the dirtiest black and the brightest white sitting side by side. In a sea of filth, the sinless Lord Jesus walks through their midst, healing them of their diseases. It is so easy to let our minds slip and let a little filth taint the person of the Lord Jesus. For sinless is not something that we are totally understand. We can't think in those terms. Sinless. We have no experience with that ourselves. It's even easier to kind of clean up the crowd around the Lord Jesus. 
to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, to excuse our actions, to overlook a life of filth that we've lived and say, we're not so dirty. But let your mind draw the right picture here. A life of filth. Sin, 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 sin. The stench of your own life. And see the perfect Lord Jesus in contrast to that. When we think of the spotless in the midst of pure filth, the contrast is startling. But the contrast is even greater than our minds can actually conceive. We can't get our mind to go to the far outside edges of what this actually looks like. But when you have that in your mind, you'll find there are, reactions of, there are two reactions of men when the contrast is clearly seen. When people see this contrast, the perfect Lamb of God and the filth of the world, there are two basic reactions. One, a desire to be clean yourself, or two, a desire to be rid of the contrast. Of course, the easiest solution is to be rid of the contrast. It doesn't require any change in your life. If we can just soil the Lord Jesus, if we can just tone Him down, we can be rid of that and we won't feel so bad. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It's easy to try to silence the light than to come to the light. It's no wonder that the scribes and Pharisees hated the Lord Jesus. They could pretend to be pretty clean while it was just everybody else around them. They could have the respect and maybe even the envy of their peers. But when the spotless Lamb of God is standing next to them, there is no hiding their sin. It is apparent that they are filled with filth just like everybody else. For this reason, He is despised and rejected of men. Even today, His name is a curse word. His teachings are mocked. His truth is slandered. Men don't like the contrast. Because his purity shows their filth. And since men desire to remain in their filth, they desire to be rid of the contrast. But that's not everybody. Not everybody desires to be rid of the contrast. Others see the contrast and are confronted with their own filth. This happens when you work construction. You walk into the quick trip. You've worked all day. Think nothing about it. And you walk in and everybody's kind of looking at you and you kind of look at yourself. You kind of smell yourself and you think, yikes. I need to get home and take a shower here. When it was everybody all you together, it wasn't any big deal. But when you get around the clean people, you're like, this is not going to fly here. I better do something about this. And when we see the Lord Jesus, we look at ourselves, some men, some say, I don't want to hear that. Others say, I look at myself and I've got to get cleaned up. 
in this life, the filth of sin can be overlooked until we see the purity of Jesus Christ and say, boy, I need to get cleaned up. But this is a problem. How do I get cleaned? It's a problem. I see myself and say, how do I get cleaned up? I can see the dirt. I can compare myself and say, the Lord Jesus is so pure. How do I get cleaned up? One of my earliest memories is of being in school and Bob Jones, maybe first grade, I suppose. Bob Jones Academy in South Carolina. I'm in the first grade. I can remember sitting at lunch. Got my little lunch box. Remember when you used to carry a lunch box to school? There were the cool lunch boxes and there were the uncool lunch boxes. The cool lunch boxes today are worth some serious money, by the way. But anyway, you got your little lunch box there and you're sitting there and I would open up my lunch box and there it would be. My evil nemesis. An orange. <laughs> Yesterday, Carol gave me an orange. It was perfectly peeled, laying in its individual slices, and not a drop of juice on my entire plate. I've been clueless on a lot of things in my life, okay? And so it's amazing some of the stuff I'm clueless at. Here I am, this little kid, and that, what I had yesterday on my plate, was not part of the equation. I pick up that orange. There's no napkins on the table, by the way. And I break through that peel. And the first thing would happen with my little thumb, as you break through the peel of that orange, you know what it did? It punctures that one slice. And out comes the juice. So you peel it away and now your hands are all sticky. What do you do? As a little kid, you're like, oh no. <laughs> and you go back to the working on this orange and now it's running down to your elbow. And you want to cry. So you're eating this orange and it's, it's juicing all over you and you're doing this. You're doing this. You know how much juice there is in an orange? <laughs> you know, when you're only that tall, you think about the square footage of you, <laughs> and I can see it clear as day. I am covered head to toe in one sticky mess. My whole shirt, my whole pants, my hands are sticky. And I sit there. I, I, I can feel it right now. You know, memories of childhood memories. I can feel it right now. Sitting there. One miserable little boy. With no way to clean myself up. This, my friend, is sin. The more you try to wipe it off, it just spreads it around. The stickier you get, and you try to clean this mess up, you're going to get clean. You know you need to be clean, and it's just this miserable, sticky mess. And what do you do? You see the Lord Jesus, 
clean, spotless, and you know that that's what you need, and you can't figure out how to get from here to there. We wipe, as it were, our hands on our pants and on our shirt, trying to get clean, but to no avail. The sin just keeps coming, and any attempt to clean just smears the filth around. I cannot clean myself up, and I sit in filthy misery. Do you want to know the delight of a poor, little, miserable, sticky six-year-old? Do you want to know the delight? A teacher came over and saw my plight. She took me by the hand over to the sink and scrubbed me from head to toe. All that stickiness was gone. You have never seen a happier boy than that little six-year-old boy. So sticky, sitting there in misery. And the teacher says, come on, son, you're, you're a mess here and took me to the sink and scrubbed me head to toe. Even 46 years later when I was writing this down, my heart was lightened by that teacher scrubbing me from head to toe. It doesn't hold a candle, though, my friend, to what Jesus Christ did for me. Sitting there in the filth of my own sin, desiring to be clean, but no way to do so, your precious Lord saw your plight. You know, this is no small matter. Admire Hall, the kids used to say, when we talk about this subject, the kids used to say, oh, I've been baptized. I'd say, oh, you have? I said, what did that do for you? Well, it washes away sin. I said, what kind of the water do they use in your baptistry? Because <laughs> I'm telling you, that stuff from the Des Moines Water Works is not going to do that. Do you know what washes away sin? There is only one answer to sin, and that's death. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is the only answer to our sin. As Revelation says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As a young boy, I recognized my filthy condition before God, and I took Jesus Christ as my Savior. He washed me white as snow. He gave me his right, robes of righteousness. He gave me clean clothes. Can I ask you, where are you at today? Can you picture in your mind the filth of sin, the rags of your own righteousness? Are you still wearing those? Are you like those who are in Romans 10.3? For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Are you still sitting there trying to clean yourself up? 
trying to be at least as clean as everybody sitting around you, the filth of the world around you? Can you not see the purity of the spotless Lamb of God is what is required in your life? It's not just to be better than the guy sitting next to you. You have got to be as pure as Jesus Christ. Look at our text verse here in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21, For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Jesus Christ, a sinless Son of God, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Have you been made the righteousness of God in Him? Is your testimony the testimony of Isaiah 61 that we read earlier? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels." Are you wearing robes of righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Are you wearing clean clothes? Now, if you're here today or you're watching the live stream, if you've not let the Lord wash you white as snow, if you've not let Him clothe you with the robes of His righteousness, I would beg you to do so today. Don't sit there like that miserable, sticky little kid trying to wonder how to get yourself cleaned up. Let Jesus Christ's righteousness be yours. Many whom I speak to this morning in this auditorium have already done this. You sit there this morning wearing the robes of His righteousness. Can I take you back to our mental picture? See the world again in their, what they're wearing. The filth of their own works. That's pretty easy to see. Disgusting. See the Lord Jesus. Spotless. No sin whatsoever. Absolutely perfect. It's a little more difficult, but doable. Now, let me ask you this. With that picture in mind... Where do you fit in that picture? How do you see yourself this morning? You are wearing the robes of His righteousness, are you not? You say, I can't see it. And what's worse, neither can anyone else? We have a problem, my friend. You are wearing the robes of His righteousness and no one can see it. What is the problem? Far too often, we hold in our hands the filth of this world things that we know are part of this world that we should not be involved in. And we soil our hands 
with the filth of this world. Far too often, we don the robes of our own works over the top of the robes of righteousness. As the Bible says, we hide our candle under a bushel. We have this stark contrast between the Lord Jesus and the world. But we have the robes of His righteousness. And yet, it cannot be seen. No, it seems like a small matter. It seems like in your mind it's a matter of personal choice. But my friend, it's far more than that. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. When we allow the robes of His righteousness to be hidden under the dingy robes of our own works, the contrast between us and the world is lost. When the contrast between us and the world is lost, then its effect is lost. Do you see this? What is the effect? The effect of the contrast between the Lord Jesus and the world, the effect is one of two things. Rejection or coming to Christ. And when we allow the robes of righteousness to be hidden by the dingy works of ourself, the world does not see. The contrast is lost. And people do not come to Christ because the contrast is no longer there. It is no small matter, my friend. You say it's a matter of personal choice, but it is not. It's more than that. Whatever that is, is keeping people from seeing the robes of His righteousness that you are wearing. And we have no right to do that. We have no right to allow those robes to be hidden. We have no right to allow that difference to be lost. We complain a lot about the filth of the world. We complain a lot about the filth and the sin of our own nation. Have we shown them any difference? Have we allowed the robes of His righteousness that we are wearing to shine forth brightly? My friends, we must throw off the coverings of our own desires. We must throw off the coverings of our own will. We must cast down the things of this world that hide the his robes of His righteousness that we're wearing. We must let those robes be seen in all of their glory. And yes, there will be two reactions. People will despise you because it causes their filth to stand out. But others will see their need and come to Christ. It is not fair, it is not right for us to deny them the chance to see true righteousness. It is not fair, it is not right for us to deny them the chance 
to see true righteousness. It's not just a personal choice. It's not just your, the way you want to be. You are denying the world the opportunity to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the robes that he gave you, put on you. And you don't have the right, we do not have the right to do that, to deny them the chance to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Two basic questions this morning. Are you wearing the robes of Christ's righteousness this morning? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? The second question, can those robes be seen? Are you wearing clean clothes?